0: Say, this is my Bible, I am what it says I am, I have what it says I have, I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again, never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, you can do that at home as well. It kind of fits into my message today that uh, there is power in the words that we speak. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And when we talk about the promises of God, there are basically three things that I believe we need to do in moving toward the promises of God. Number one, we need to be aware that there are promises. How many of you know if you're not aware of something, that means you're not going to be in pursuit of something? So when we become aware of what God's Word says, we have the next step, which is the declaration or declaring what we're aware of. So aware, declare. Once you're aware of something, that's when you start moving toward it, and you really start moving toward that before you ever physically do it. You are spiritually, mentally, and emotionally setting it into motion. For instance, in June, some of you are anticipating Kids going back to school because you'd already been out for a month and you're ready for them to go again. And so you're aware of when school starts and, and you begin to prepare yourself mentally, emotionally, and all the things that, that you need to do and, and that kind of thing. And then the third thing is the share. Sharing what you have received from the promises of God. After you're aware, you declare, you share. Very important that we get this, but it all begins with being aware of that God wants to bless you. He said, I set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing, choose life. It's a choice that we get to make every day. And uh, oftentimes, rather than declaring what God has said and what God has promised, we talk about where we are in life, the bad things that have happened. We have an incredible memory when it comes to the things that we've done wrong. A guilt complex, which we're born with because we're born with original sin. So the devil loves when we live below the standards of God. He loves it when we are not walking in the presence of God and walking in the promises of God. Matter of fact, the Bible says he's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he comes to steal the word that is sown in us. If you look at the parable of the sowers and and, and you see that, The the process that we get caught up, we get distracted, we get doubtful. When the seed of God's word is sown in us, we have to protect the seed of that word. So when the word gets in us, it's not just there uh, for us to possess it. It's there for us to declare it as well. And so when you become aware of that, you become responsible for that. And uh, you can blame your mom and dad. You can blame other people for where you are or where you're not. Or you can begin to move toward the promises of God that you have available to you. So, it's very, very important that we get this. And in Numbers chapter 14, if you'll turn there, Israel had been delivered out of Egypt. God sent Moses in to be his mouthpiece. Moses didn't want to go, so he said, God, I'm a stutterer, and try to get out of it. And God said, I'll fix that. I'll send Aaron along with you. In other words, God said, I'm not going to let you out of your destiny. Now, you can try to step out, but I'm not going to give you permission, but it's your life. You have a free will. You can do that. So Moses goes in, becomes the mouthpiece of God to get Israel free again. They had been enslaved, they were accustomed to three meals and hard work every day, and uh, they got used to that. How many, you know, sometimes we get used to things God doesn't want us to be used to. We get familiar with things, and we get accustomed to things, and we do those things almost by rote, not by prayer, not being led by the Spirit, and I'm not being judgmental. But we get so caught up in routines that we lose sight of the promises of God. We just get in a rhythm, if you will. And I'm not against routines and rhythms until those routines and rhythms God wants to shift or change, and we're not aware of God wanting to do that. And so it's very, very important that we wake up every morning and say, Holy Spirit, good morning. I belong to you today. Anything you want to do, anything you want to say, here I am. Make me aware of what you want to do today. Well, Israel had come out of Egypt, as we know, but the problem was the residue of Egypt and Egyptian thinking was still on them. They, were still, they still had the Egyptian mindset, they were used to and accustomed to getting up at the same time every day, making uh, their quota of bricks, getting their meals, and going to bed. They had become accustomed to that. And that doesn't sound too bad if you don't know any difference. See, the problem is that some people in the world don't know that they don't have to live in the conditions and circumstances they're currently living in. The community I grew up in, is very lower middle class, it would have been very easy, a bunch of really wonderful people, but we, I had no awareness outside of my community. As a matter of fact, when I went to college and they said, we're going to teach you a worldview, I didn't even know what a worldview was. I had a community view. I didn't even have a city view. I didn't have a state view. I had a community view. And it was my community. And once I began to stick my head outside my community, I became very aware that there were people living a better life than me. And I went... I want a life like that. I became aware. And and once you become aware, you will do one of two things. You will become critical of the people living better than you, or you will use them to get better than you are. You will learn from them. Now that you're aware that it's available, it's possible, you have the choice to be critical. And many people get critical. They get critical of people who are walking in the blessing of God, walking in the prosperity of God. They must be cheating. They must be doing something because I'm as good as they are. And we get very critical. Instead, it's probably important that you start going up to them and say, Can you help me understand how you got to where you are? Because we're so insecure. When we're born, we grow up insecure oftentimes, and sometimes you don't have to. Your parents teach you to be very secure in who you are. But oftentimes, our culture is what we embrace because our culture wraps itself around us, and we don't know. And, and uh, we don't know what to do with what we're aware of. And so in Numbers chapter 14, Moses is dealing with a bunch of disgruntled people. And I'm going to start with verse 1. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, said to them. See, sometimes it's one thing to think something, but before you let that out of your mouth, process it. Before you open, well, isn't the thought as bad as the words? No. The Bible says you can take that thought captive and you can make it obedient to Christ. You can imprison the thought before the thought becomes words and imprisons you. Because your words will imprison you. You can think something about somebody, but the minute you say it and they hear it, it changes everything. You could think, they're such an idiot, but the minute you say it, that's when the trouble begins. And so take that thought captive and ask yourself, is this thought going to be productive? And Israel was not thinking when they did this. It says, if only, listen to this, if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken on as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? How many times have people come a certain distance only to say, this is difficult. This is hard. You forget how hard it was in Egypt. You forget how difficult it was back when you were making bricks and having to get your own straw. You forget that. All of a sudden, you've lost your awareness of the promise that is before you. You see... When you come up against something, and I want to get this in our heads today, because the promise requires a profession of faith in God. And so once you realize that and you begin to declare, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Now that I'm aware of that, see, I never never heard that when I was a kid in church. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm made right by being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm a terrible person. Don't say that anymore. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ after you honk and cut somebody off in traffic. (laughs) Yeah, that was a dumb move, but it doesn't mean you're a bad person. See, the devil wants you to believe you're a bad person. You're a horrible human being. You've never done anything good. You're no good. And you hear that in your mind, and you begin saying it. In your worst hour, when you are terribly, you've done something horribly wrong, the blood of Jesus cleanses me. God, forgive me. I'm cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go out and do whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying. But when you do, and you will sometimes, do things you don't want to do, say things you don't want to say, quickly be aware that God is right there to separate your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Now, we don't abuse that. We don't want to. But Israel is grumbling. Why did you bring us out here to die? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, hold it. Who chose Moses? God did. Who do you think is right in this situation? We should choose a leader. Yeah, good luck with that. Nobody wants to lead you knuckleheads. You're grumblers. You're a mess. And then Moses, rather than getting angry was aware of what God wanted him to do. You see, if you're not aware that God says if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. If you're not aware of that, you're going to live a life that's pretty miserable. Bitterness is not a good thing. And your unforgiveness turns into bitterness toward people. And Moses could have easily said, I'm not doing this anymore. I know there's a promise before us, but y'all want to go back to Egypt. Just get her done. I'll point you in the right direction to go back to your old ways. But Moses instead stands in the gap. In verse 17, it says, Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you you have declared. You see, Jesus in the New Testament didn't say, If you go and you're at the base of a mountain and it's standing between you and the promise, he didn't say stand there until it goes away. He didn't say stand there until you can stare it down. He said speak to the mountain and say be moved from here to there. Speak. Instead of saying, well, there's that mountain again, nothing good. My family has been living at the base of this mountain for three generations. I guess it's just our lot in life. We're just stuck here. This is all that's going to happen to us. You hear people continue to tell a story that's contradictory to the promise and story of God. You wonder why you're not walking in the blessing? Are you declaring the blessing or criticizing people who are blessed? It's humbling when you realize that you can learn something from somebody else and you want to be as smart as somebody else, smart people are continual learners. I read a book one time, and this guy said, he said he's, he's, he's really a great communicator, great preacher, great author. And he said, when people ask me what I do for a living, he said, I'm a learner. They said, no, what do you really do? I'm a learner. In other words, that's my lot in life, is to continue to learn and be aware of what the Bible says. The devil doesn't want you to walk in the blessing of God and the joy of the Lord and the peace that passes all understanding. Every morning that you wake up, I'm telling you, there's an assignment from hell to stop you. This scares some of y'all, hell assignments. We don't want to talk that spiritual. Don't go there. Don't get there. No, I'm going to get there because it's the problem. We have minimized the spiritual aspect of our life. We are made spirit, soul, and body. And we all—we look at the body, and some of us looking at more body this year than we did last year. And then, then <laughs> you're looking around at everything, but your spiritual man is a dwarf because you're not feeding your spirit man. Your spirit man's starving to death. He's weak. He has no energy. He has no strength because you're not fed it with the Word of God. The Word of God is is soul food. You start feeding and you might get a little rhythm going on. Anyway, so. And it goes on to say, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin and rebellion. But then he goes on to say, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. What he's saying is, your punishment is your choice. Many people think God's going to spank me or punish me or whatever. Your choice is what punishes you. What he's saying here is there are those who are not grumbling. They won't be punished by the choice they made to grumble. They won't, or not grumble, they won't be punished because they have not contradicted what I told them I would do. That he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people. This is Moses interceding just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you have asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Now, obviously today we have an intercessor. The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God interceding for us. That means he's standing in the gap between our sin our failings, and he's interceding with God, saying, but I gave my life for them, and they've turned back to you. You see, you're never too far gone for God, and you've never do too much, done too much to out-sin the cross. And so some people quit because they think, I've just done too much, and this is, they, their words are, I just can't do the church thing. I, just, I, I, I can't come, I, I've done too much. And, and you start telling yourself you've done too much instead of saying, God did more than my too much. God is bigger than my too much. God is greater than my too much. God is going to take me where he wants me to go. Now, you can obviously alter your course, which is what Israel did, and I'll explain that in just a moment. You can speed things up or you can slow things down. When you begin to declare the promises of God every day and you fight the good fight, oftentimes you can speed the process up. Israel failed to do that, and it goes on to say, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went in to spy out, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints... Of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Well, I'm not going to, I've applied for 10 jobs. I'm probably not going to get one of them. You're right. But the minute you say, I applied for 10, I'm not sure which one I'm going to take yet. Has anybody called you back? No, but I know they're going to. How do you know? Because I'm believing God. He said, whatsoever things I ask in his name, he would do it that the Father would be glorified in the Son. I throw the Bible at Jesus all the time. I toss it up to God and say, here's what you said. I don't do it arrogantly. I say it like a child. You know, my kids were young. They never asked me if they could go in the pantry. Hey, Dad, can I have something to eat? Oh, no. It looked like locusts had hit it. It's like, I thought we went to the grocery store two days ago, and now everything's gone. And they didn't just go, well, you know. No, they knew their daddy loved them. See, when you know how much God loves you, you don't have to ask to go in the pantry. You just go in, and, and when, it ain't, when it's not there, say, God, you missed something when you went to the store the other day. Those Oreos, they're not in there. And you know I ask you for Oreos. See, sometimes you just have to realize God is not a stoic God. I mean, I think God wears blue jeans. Now, that just messed some of y'all up. You, some religious person here, this, he, that preacher's going to hell. God doesn't wear blue jeans. My God is cool. See, we've, and the reason we think that is because for years, you couldn't go to church without a suit and being dressed up. I love serving Jesus in this day. I'm telling you, neckties were created by women to choke their husbands. I'm telling you right now. So once you become aware of this, when I became aware that sowing and reaping was in the Bible, all of a sudden, giving had a whole new meaning to me. See, the devil wants you to believe that you shouldn't say anything if you give. You don't go tell everybody you gave somebody something. But when you give it, you come to God and say, you know what? I love your laws. Sowing and reaping is a law of God. He said, if you sow, you're going to reap. See, the devil, that'd be like planting a whole acres, just acres and acres of, of orange seeds and never going back. To see if there's a harvest, never do anything to cultivate the harvest. You just sowed them and thought they're going to grow. No, you water them. Guess what? You water the seeds you sow by the word of God that comes out of your mouth. You're watering the promises of God, the destiny of God, by declaring what you're aware of. Now I'm aware that God wants to bless me. I'm thinking, God, bring it on. You said, I'll bless you in the city, I'll bless you in the country, I'll bless you coming in, I'll bless you going out. You'll be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Your enemies will come at you from one direction, I'll cause them to flee in seven. God, get it done. Some of y'all talking about your enemies instead of talking to your enemies. And you don't have to talk directly to your enemies, you talk to your God about your enemies. Say, God, you promised me they'd be out of here and scatter in seven different directions. Get them gone. And then smile at them next time you see them. Say, you don't know, but you're getting ready to move. <laughs> you see, our lives are not determined by happenstance. It's not Doris Day, K Sarah. whatever will be, will be. No, it's whatever you say is what's going to be. And I know this is very difficult for religious mindsets to grasp this. They think that, that God, somehow we're just Calvinists. You know, if you fall down the stairs, you're just glad it's over. It was destined to happen and now it's behind you. Instead of saying, I'll never fall downstairs, I'll be aware that the stairs are there. This is radical for some of you. It's radical. But radical faith produces radical results. That's how come you be de- begin to declare it. The word of God is true. God, I'm the apple of your eye. My footsteps are ordered by you. Your word says I'm going from glory to glory. The footsteps of the righteous are like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. I just keep on going. Lord, you said you'd bless the righteous. Surround them with favor as with a shield. Somebody like, going, well, I'm glad it's working for him. I wish it worked for me. It will work for you if you'll work your words. And then when things, God gets a little slower, you say, God, you're slowing down on me. You see, Israel was aware of the promise. They even got to the place where they went in to spy out the land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. One man from each tribe, 12, went into the promised land. Caleb and Joshua came out. And they were the only two that said, yeah, they declared, we can do it. The other one said, they're, they're huge. The giants are in that land, and we're but grasshoppers in their sight. Those words, those words from 10 spies infiltrated the whole population of Israel. Just the words. And it instilled fear in the millions of people that had wandered in the wilderness. And as a result of it, many of them, by hearing those words, chose to believe the words of a spy over the promise of God. See, some of you have lived in conditions and situations that are unfavorable, around people who are unfavorable and unkind. And you've just allowed it instead of declaring That no weapon formed against me will prosper and every tongue that rises up against me will be refuted. That God is a hedge around me. He's a wall of fire. He's my shield. We have to declare the promises of God or the intentions of man will consume us. The problem is we're too busy looking at whether we deserve it or not or whether we're good enough or not. And what we don't realize is God is good enough, big enough, strong enough, better enough to get us to the place we need to go. Declare the promises of God. In Exodus 13, it says in verse 17, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Now, God theologians say that the trip from Egypt to the Promised Land was roughly a two to two and a half week journey if they would have taken the shortest route. But because Israel was so undecided in their minds, God says, I'm going to have to take them the long way or they'll be destroyed. So God, in His grace and mercy created a route to prevent them from having to go to war and return to Egypt. That wasn't God's best plan, but he said, they don't believe. And he knew it ahead of time that if they, in fact, face the Philistines, they're going to cower down. See, sometimes there's a shorter route for you, but God's saying if you go that route, you're going to return back to the way you were. And God cares so much about us that he is patient with us. So now, all of a sudden, I have to remind myself. See, some people just, I love the Bible, and I, I love carrying a real Bible. Now, I have a Bible on my phone, but I just like this a little bit. And and so, what happens is, we look at the Bible, and sometimes we feel like, well, I need to read it. You feel guilty when you don't read it, and you don't read it enough, and you're not. And, and, and see, that's exactly what the devil wants you to do, is believe that, you know, this, that's what this is all about. The devil, that's not what this is about. This is about you reading the Bible, becoming aware of the promises, and then starting to declare the promises and quit having discussions about how bad things are and look and say, you know, if they're this bad right now, think about it. They can only get better. Things are, but most people say, well, you know, it's just really a horrible time. Let me say this. One of two things is about to happen in our world. This is what I believe. Either there's going to be a mass move of God. And I saw, read an article about Amsterdam having 60,000 people gathered and worshiping God. Moves of God are starting to break out around the world. And I believe that that's what is going to happen. That's my hope. And if that doesn't happen, I'm looking to the northeast sky saying, okay, where's the horse? Proof that animals are going to be in heaven. For all of you PETA people, PETA, 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 <laughs> I'm looking to say either Jesus is coming back or he's getting ready to fix this mess. And so I, I could look at it and say, well, you know, people say, well, it's going to get worse. Well, you need to start a church of worse worship center and let everybody know it's going to get worse and you all can get together every Sunday and talk about how bad things are You come to Mosaic, you're going to get here every Sunday, get a stomach full of how awesome God is and how the promises of God are going to operate in our lives. We refuse to bow our knee to defeat. But I'd love it if there was a revival. Don't you know that hell right now is so disturbed? It's so disturbed right now because, let me tell you, God will not be defeated. We've read the end of the book, and I know how it ends. And so all we have to do is stay positive. I mean, a friend of mine was uh, had a car breakdown in Arizona years and years ago. And uh, he, he's out in the middle of nowhere, and a guy pulled over to pick him up. He needed a ride to try to get his car fixed. He got in the car and come to find out this man had a gun. And he looked and he said, you know, I, I just want to kill somebody today, and it looks like you might be it. And this guy looked at him and said, you think you can scare a Christian with heaven? He didn't look, say, oh, sir, please don't, please don't. He's like... If I leave here, I don't have to pay any more bills. I don't have to put up with any more people. I get to be with Jesus. Yeah, that's a little radical for most, right? But can you imagine some heathen trying to shoot you and you don't care? He's like confused. Well, hold it. I thought I'd threaten you. Go for it. Make my day. You see, most of us can't even get over a hiccup And say, it's okay. You can't scare a Christian. It's going to be all right. Right now things look bad. But we have a good God that overcomes the things that look bad. And my God will never leave me. My God will never forsake me. He said, he'll be with me always. I can't lose. So you begin to declare what the promises in God's word are instead of declaring what's happening in your life. You can say, well, isn't that denial? No, that's brilliance. To declare what God said he would do. By his stripes, we were healed. He will meet all the needs I have according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You say, I'm broke? God, you said you meet every need I have. Now, with that said, don't grumble about where you're at or where you're not. Start obeying God and watch and see what happens. If I, Every time I give, I say, God, I expect this to come back pressed down, shaken together and running over. I can't outgive you. You have more power than you declare. And some of you have more power than you're aware. And whenever you begin to say, well, what happens when I get into the promise? Because this is very important. Some people live only for the promise, but they don't understand why the promise is the promise and how it works once you walk into it. So once we walk in the promises of God, our job is not to gloat, not to boast. Our job is to share in the promises of God. So if all I did was a man, I'm gonna get mine and y'all are on your own. No. When God spoke to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you so that you will be a blessing. You see, there's never this thing, I've arrived, I've got everything I want, the rest of you all on your own. When God blesses you, it's not so that you can walk around and gloat about it, hoard it, and possess it. It's a process, it's a stream that God uses to flow. And when you keep blessing other people, other people will keep blessing you, God will keep blessing them, and the cycle continues. <laughs> Quit damming up the flow of God. Abraham could have said, man, I, I'm a man of faith, and that's the reason I'm living the promises. I'm all that in a bag of chips. But God instructed him very specifically, here's what you do. The Bible says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and he'll repay. A part of yesterday's outreach, incredible pizza will be blessed. They decided we're going to feed a bunch of people for free. Rick and Cheryl have a revelation of God. That's the reason they've, they've got like nine, 10, 11, I don't know how many incredible pizzas all over the country. And a part of that is because, let me tell you what, most people don't know about them, and I knew them when. They started their first pizza joint in Victoria, Texas, and they had so little money that they couldn't get a house, so they slept in the restaurant and got up every day and worked in the restaurant, went back to bed in the restaurant. A lot of people say, I want what they have. Do you really? See, they've been faithful believers. They've, they sold out to God. And they said, God, everything we have is yours. And they live that to this day. See, if you can't handle one little pizza joint, you're not going to get 10 or 11. If you can't handle $100, you ain't going to handle $10,000. You see, once you become aware of the promises, declare the promises, you must share the promises. And I'm going to close with this know they got to any of those the average age of the world's greatest civilizations has been 200 years we read and those nations progressed through the following sequence don't miss this from bondage to spiritual faith does this not sound like egypt israel israel coming out from bondage to spiritual faith but follow this progression not just from egypt but to america from spiritual faith to great courage. This nation became a great nation because they left Europe because they couldn't worship freely the way they wanted. And it took great courage, born out of spiritual faith, to make their way and call this America and begin to worship God. From courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance To selfishness. This is where it starts turning. You see, when I talk about sharing, it's not just fighting through things and getting our own. But once we get it, it's important that we don't get selfish. And from selfishness to complacency. From complacency to apathy. From apathy means really don't care. I got mine. Everything's fine. We quit Fighting the good fight. We quit declaring the good word. And we sit back on now what we possess. And what it took to possess it was being aware and declaring. But once you get that and once you possess that, it's not over. You have to continue to speak God's word in your life or the devil will suddenly put you to sleep. And all of a sudden you'll become apathetic about the things of God and and the word of God and the pursuit of God in your destiny. It's never over. It never stops. We have to keep going from glory to glory. And God's not built. He didn't build an elevator, an escalator, a walkway. He said, you got to fight the good fight. you got to walk it out. you got to put yourself on the pathway of righteousness to get there and stay there. From dependency back again into bondage. I'm going to say this as politely as I can. It will irritate some. Welcome to America because this is where we are today. And you know what? We can turn it around again. We can turn it around again by saying, God, we're going to exercise spiritual faith. We're praying for those in leadership. God, if they're not supposed to be there, remove them. God, we'd prefer they change, they become the righteousness of you in Christ. We are praying for their families. We're praying for their well-being. But, God, if they can't get in line with your word, get them out of the way so we can live the life and the promises you've called us to live. And in just a matter of time, this will be declared hate speech. The First Amendment only applies to those who want to be evil, but those who say, I'm going to stand up for righteousness, I'm going to declare truth, now all of a sudden truth becomes a person, and a person becomes hate. We've Got to handle truth, we have to speak truth, if it costs us everything. A few years ago, this wonderful United States of ours was just over 200 years old. We know that was back in the 1976, whatever it was. The above cycle is not inevitable. It depends on every one of us and our children and their children to see that we do not follow that cycle. If the above cycle is applied to a business, it just might explain why so many work hard and get about halfway through the cycle. And then there sets in the lower half leading to failure. It would appear that people, businesses, and nations cannot stand prosperity. America has been a prosperous nation. And just a few years ago, we became dependent on a government instead of a God. One and only God. People got excited about getting the, the money in the mail and all the things. And when we, we thought about applying for this PPP loan, and I, 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 just, I went everywhere. And finally one day God said, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust the government? Now, I'm not being judgmental of anyone who took it or any business that took it. Don't say that. But for me, God said, I want you to look to me. I will take care of your church. I'll take care of your staff. I'll take care if you'll trust me. But what happened in that sense, we became government dependent. And now, as a result of that, you see this cycle happening in our country. Listen, God meets our needs according to his riches in glory, not his riches in D.C. And if the churches don't start speaking up about these things, we're done. God has convicted me that I must speak. It's going to make some people mad, but I think it's going to make a lot more people glad because what we're saying is we'll trust in the Lord with all our heart, not lean into our own understanding, and all of our ways acknowledge Him, and He will make our paths straight. God's got you. God's got you. Don't ever doubt it. He has you. The reason you read the Bible is to become aware of those promises. Most of us get offended easily. Many people today, you don't even realize you're offended, just like some people don't realize they're depressed. I used to be one of those. I grew up in a, a community that it was easy. We learned how to be offended easily. Somebody said something. Somebody did something. And Then one time I heard a preacher say this out of Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have those who love the law of God. Nothing shall offend them. Some of you are blocking the promise of God because you're offended by what somebody said or what you thought they said or how it landed on you and you're living your life offended and as a result, you have blocked the flow of God's blessing and God's promise in your life. Let it go. Let them go. Matter of fact, if it's a person, start praying for their blessing and sows that into your blessing. When you start saying, God, bless those who persecute me. That's a hard thing to do because I want to slap them upside the head. But God said, pray for those. Bless those. Some of y'all just wake up. To, Put it on your refrigerator. You're going to be there all day tomorrow. Or at least several times. God, I release so and so. Just don't invite them into the house till you remove it. <laughs> God, I bless Bill and Nancy. I bless them, God. You don't like them, but I bless them, God. Before long, they'll become a piece of your life and a piece of your heart because God has sown love for them in you because you bless them. God says, because of that, I'm going to bless you. Aware, declare, and then share. Let it be known. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your patience, your love. Lord, I thank you for all the good and wonderful gifts that you've made available to us. May we not just know them. May we declare them. May we share them. Let other people know what's going on, Father, through our lives of faith in you. I Pray for our nation, God. I pray, Lord, that you would expose all that's been hidden in darkness, that you would bring it to light. Lord, that you would heal our nation. Lord, we pray for that today. We pray that we would truly be one nation under God. Capital G. One nation under you, God. With every head bowed, every eye closed. And those of you watching, take a moment. We never like to close a service without giving people an opportunity to accept Christ. If you've not accepted Christ or you've walked away and wandered away from him, this is a great time for you to pray. But I want all of us to pray this right now. Say, Father God, thank you so much for loving me so much that you sent your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you and I declare your promise. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I thank you today, Lord, that I am saved. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, watching online or watching this recorded message, I want to ask you to text the word SAVE to 405-500-1310 right now. And we will be praying for you. If you're in-house, we want to ask you in a moment, our prayer team will be to the left of the stage, just take a moment and go over and say, Today I gave my life to Jesus. Would you pray with me that I can walk this out and not quit? I want to possess the promises of God. Very important that you do that, okay? Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crowe. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.